This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. This show is brought to you by Pet King Brands, the makers of Zymox and Oratine. It's Behave with Arden Moore, the show that teaches you how to have harmony in the household with your pets. Join Arden as she travels coast to coast to help millions better understand why cats and dogs do what they do. Get the latest scoop on famous faces. They're perfectly pampered pets in Who's Walking Who in Rintin, Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails. Garner great pet tips and have a doggone fur-flying fun time. So get ready for the pause and applause as we unleash your all-behave host, America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Welcome to the All-Behave Show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. Listeners, prepare for an unbelievable tale. It seems so unbelievable because it's doggone true and amazing. The story begins when this stocky, stubborn little dog shows up out of nowhere and starts running stride for stride with a professional ultra marathon racer in the Gobi Desert of China. Now, many of you may know this story because the book is a New York Times bestseller, but let's hear this tale of true love determination, dedication from the source. Yes, it is our honor to welcome to the show the author of the best-selling book called Finding Gobi, a little dog with a very big heart. Please welcome Dion Leonard. Hey, Dion, you're on the show. Thank you you so much. And uh, Gobi's by my side as well, but you know, she can't talk, so she can't tell her side of the story. So it leaves me with the job to do to share the story for everyone. Well, she's going to trust anybody to speak, speak, speak. It'll be you. And hey, folks, Dion's going to share this tale, how this little dog, Gobi, dramatically changed his life and his outlook for the better. But we got to pay for the show. So we're going to take this quick commercial break. You know the drill. Sit and stay. We'll be right back. Time for a pause. Four furry ones, actually. Sit and stay. All Behave will be right back. Hey, howdy, everybody. It's Arden Moore here. Do you want a cat litter that absorbs odor-causing wetness like uh, a parched desert cactus? Well, Arm & Hammer's got a litter for you and your cat. New Absorb-X with desert dry minerals. Wetness in the litter box, it disappears like a Texas raindrop on a hot tin roof. Odor? Adios. It's lightweight, it's lightning fast, it absorbs odor, it is desert dry cat litter. And guess what? You can get $4 off by just going to armandhammer.com slash bounty. New Absorbex from Arm & Hammer. More power to you. Me wow! Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. All Behave is back with more tail-wagging ways to achieve harmony in the household with your pets. Now, back to your fetching host, America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Welcome back to the All Behave show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. Today's guest, Dion Leonard. He puts the wow in bow wow. He's an ultra marathon racer. He has competed in grueling races all over the world. He's a motivational speaker. And he lives right now in Chattanooga, Tennessee, 
but the accent is not from Tennessee, as you can tell. But most of all, he is the proud dog dad of a gutsy full of life dog named Gobi. I just got to tell you, uh, Dion, I'm so glad to have you on the show. I'm holding a copy of your book in my hands, Finding Gobi, a little dog with a very big heart. And I also want to thank you and Gobi for signing it. And I even understand uh, work is underway to maybe make a movie about you and Gobi. Nice. Well, to think Gobi's stories come all the way from the desert to now Hollywood. So we're really excited to be able to talk about the movie as well, which is coming out soon. Can you uh, speak, speak, speak on anything about the movie? Who's going to be in it? Or has that been clear to, to say? I can't say who's going to be playing me and uh, Gobi's not playing herself. But we have uh, two really big level producers and uh, director, screenplay, writer all involved with it. So it's all happening behind the scenes. And uh, we're really excited about that. So with COVID, how's that impacted the production? That's been one of the big issues is everything slowed down with COVID and no filming and no real production being able to take place with the film. So we're a little bit behind schedule. So it's more likely going to be 2021. But uh, it's going to be cool to see Gobi on the red carpet in any case. I hope he even leaves his signature maybe on the red carpet. The photographs definitely, uh, it's well received with people. So yeah, that'll be cool. So let's do a favor now. Let's do a pinky swear. We'll uh, have you back on when the movie's on. How's that? Yeah, absolutely. Pinky swear. Pinky swear. All right. This guy, you you run, you run, you run. You make Forrest Gump look like he's standing still. But, you know, you didn't just start out as a runner. I saw the photos in your book and you were this long, skinny-legged dude growing up. So what got you into running? And not just around the block. We're talking on the Gobi Desert and other places that are pretty challenging. Well, that long skinny dude that you talked about as a young kid turned into quite a fat middle-aged man in his 30s, smoking and uh, drinking and eating way too much junk food. So I ballooned out to about 275 pounds. And I looked at myself in the mirror one day and I didn't see that uh, skinny little kid anymore, obviously. Knew I needed to make a change and... uh, Actually, one evening as I was uh, having a few drinks with a friend of mine, I made a bet with him that I could beat him in a half marathon race, you know, the 13.1 mile distance, having never run before and uh, being massively overweight. It was the sort of motivation I needed to lose some weight and to try and beat him in the bet. And uh, that was really what kickstarted me into running. And uh, I got into running to lose. You were in your 30s, late 30s when you started this? I was in my late 30s when that started and I was living in Manchester in England at the time and uh, yeah, we made a bet that uh, whoever lost the bet had to take the other couple out for dinner and, uh, you know, that was pretty worrying for him, I guess, because I was still a pretty big guy and I could certainly eat my fair share of food at the restaurant. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, all right, don't keep us in suspense. Who won? I won the bet. And uh, did a really quick time and uh, did a one hour 28, which is pretty quick for your first uh, marathon. Uh, yeah. I used to be a sports writer for a major newspaper and I covered a lot of races and things like that. So yeah, that's that's quick striding. In fact, I want to get to the Gobi story, but I want to get a little bit about your running because you are an ultra marathon runner. So humbly, 26.2. I laugh at that amount. What are you usually doing in a race? Tell the people. Well, now I'm running races that are uh, 155 miles, uh, six stage, seven days, and uh, 
their self-sufficiency races. And that means you have to carry all of your food and kit to survive the week as well. And a lot of the times these races are held in the most inhospitable locations around the world as well, like the Gobi Desert, like the Kalahari Desert in South Africa, like the uh, Sahara Desert in Morocco. And uh, these races are really extreme. You know, they're uh, sometimes I question myself why I'm not just sitting on a beach enjoying a cocktail yeah. somewhere. But you said that things got better when you made it to a shorter, faster stride. I think you, you changed some of your technique, right? In some of the races leading up to the Gobi Desert race. So I changed my technique. I'd been working with a coach and I got out to the Gobi Desert really fit, healthy, ready to go and to ready to go out there to that race and to try and win it. All right. You know, you get to China and I don't want to spoil everything in your book because I want people to read your book. I want people to see the movie. But obviously, Gobi is sitting on the couch in Chattanooga, Tennessee next to you. So we know it has a happy ending. But you had a little tough time getting to your race site once you got into China, right? Yeah, I mean, that was the first time I'd been to China. And uh, it's a really unique city and unique place that the race was held. And it took uh, a long time to get out there from Beijing and through many uh, through many hours of travel. And I wasn't sure when I got there that I really liked the place. Yeah. Uh, but I was there to do the race. So I was there to compete and I was there to get to the finish line of that. Little did I know, though, this little dog would come out of nowhere and change, you know, my life and her life forever. <laughs> so let's go to that day. You said this was June 20th. Is that right? Okay, and tell us the significance of June 20th then and now. Well, this is day two of the six-stage, seven-day race, and uh, I'd seen this dog who had actually run the first day of the race. She joined a couple of American runners as they crossed the sand dune of Barkol. She came out of nowhere. She was running in between their feet, and she followed them into the campsite, which was you know about 10 miles away. On day two of the race, we're about to set off, and I'm looking out at the surroundings and thinking about the days running ahead and I look down to my shoes and I see this little dog <laughs> chewing on my shoes <laughs> and she's okay. chewing on uh, a sand cover basically that keeps the sand out of your socks and your feet and it's a really important piece of kit and she's putting holes in them so I flick her off with my foot and tell her to go away and she jumps back onto them again and she starts chewing on them again and I flick her off tell her to shoe and I remember that I'd seen the dog the night before around the campsite, but I didn't know whose dog it was and what the story was. So I yelled out to all of the other 100 competitors there, whose dog is this? Someone come and get this dog away from me. You know, the race is about to start and I didn't want her to be sort of trodden on as we all ran off. But it was too late. The gun went off and Gobi was attached to my leg, still chewing on my shoes. And uh, for some reason, she took a shining to me. And uh, that was going to be really the moment that she'd realized that she was going to be with me for the rest of the week. Wow. So her running style, how would you describe Gobi's versus yours? Because she's matching you, an ultra marathon racer. Well, she has got four legs though. Yeah. Yeah, but they're short. Come on, dude. Yeah. And she's closer to the ground. So I think, you know, it's easier for her, but no, she, she's born to run. She really looks like she's running effortlessly. Whereas I'm you know, over six foot tall and uh, carrying all of my food in a big bag on my back and I'm struggling along. Gobi would run 25 miles with me on day two of that race. We would cross the Tian Shan mountain range, which is snow-capped mountains in the middle of the Gobi Desert in China, a really unique sort of place to be. And she was with me stride for stride. On occasions, she'd run up, she'd go ahead of me, she'd oh. sit and wait. 
Really? Now that's kind of embarrassing, don't you think? Yeah, exactly. She'd just say, "Come on, can't you run any faster?" And then sometimes she'd sort of settle in behind me and just be sort of comfortable with me leading the sort of way. And that day, I would actually finish in fourth place overall. And when you finish those races, normally if you're the first male or first female, there'll be quite a crowd or commotion there, and they'll be playing drums, be yeah. uh, cheering and clapping for you as you come into the finish line. And uh, as I said, I came in fourth place. And all of this cheering and clapping was happening. And I thought that was really strange. Why is everyone, you know, cheering and clapping yeah. considering I didn't win? And it wasn't until I'd finished and uh, crossed the finish line and I turned around to see everyone was still cheering and clapping. And it was because the dog was behind me and had run 25 miles. Wow. Uh, how much does Gobi weigh? Oh, that's a good question. She's about eight kilos. So she fits in um, the little bag that you can take her on the carry-on. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Um, so she's very small, yeah. And she's eight kilos, and you think she's about six years old now because you made June 20th her, we call it gotcha day. Is yeah. That, uh, yes. All right. That's all the right. gotcha so, day. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, she's uh, for a little dog, she packs a powerful little punch. And, you know, she would go on to run 80 miles of the race, and she'd run four stages out of the six. And she would have ran the, the other two stages as well, except the temperatures would reach 125 degrees. And, mm -hmm. of course, mm -hmm. we made the decision to put her in a car and transport her to the finish line. And, you know, she missed out on those two days, which was a good thing. It was a blessing. But on those two days when I'd run into the finish line after finishing the race, she'd be sitting there waiting for me and she'd be looking out in the horizon. And as soon as she could see me and my bright yellow shirt that I wear and my bright yellow shoes and sand covers she'd come running out and she'd jump on them and start chewing them again and <laughs> she was just so happy to see me it made running in the desert actually quite pleasant for once you know people say that dogs don't make up our whole life they make our lives whole that's a famous quote from roger Karras. you've had some struggles in your life so it sounds like Gobi's helping make you whole absolutely you know a, a lot of the time People will say, oh, you've changed that dog's life forever. But really, you know, she's changed my life in a lot of ways as well. Made me a much more happier person in, inside. And, you know, I had a very depressive and destructive family life where I left home at the age of 13 and uh, went out onto the streets on my own and put myself through school and put food on the table and all of those things, which was terribly difficult to do and uh, felt very abandoned, I guess, as a child. And Seeing this little stray dog in the middle of the Gobi Desert with no one and uh, nowhere to go really made me sort of feel a little bit of myself in her. So there's a lot of reasons why I do the things that I do and go to so many troubles in China for this little dog. Do you have any idea, even today, how she just poof showed up? Anybody ever say, hey, that was my dog, I didn't want her? No, we didn't have any uh, children ringing up and crying saying you've stolen my dog. <laughs> You know, this story is absolutely huge and everyone knows about Gobi and no one ever came forward to say, this is my dog. And as we sort of spoke about earlier, you know, I've raced many, many races in deserts all around the world and some really, really extreme locations. But I could be in the middle of the Sahara Desert and there'll be someone living there in a little brick hut and they might have a couple of goats and a couple of dogs. And, and I would assume that Gobi's probably just come from one of these goat herders or people living out in some sort of existence in the middle of nowhere. And uh, she saw a game of chase going on as all of us runners were running through it. She probably yeah, thought this ultimate is game of chase. Yeah. You know, you said that you had no idea that her story was already being written during the race because other runners were posting blogs about you, right? 
Yeah, I mean, everyone was already captivated by Gobi's story because everyone was talking about how this little dog ran so far and how she was so quick. She was running up with the leaders and she really took everyone at the race by heart. And, uh, you know, it wasn't just me feeding Gobi or looking after her. She had a 100 other runners and there were lots of volunteers there that also connected with this sweet little dog. And I think she thought it was just one big party in the sand. <laughs> you know what, Gobi? You just gave a new definition to dog party. Let's go run with a bunch of ultra marathon racers. Yeah, party on, party well, we're, on. We're Maybe a couple of whippets will join her. I don't know. Pretty crazy people uh, to go and do this running in the desert thing anyway. So it was definitely uh, definitely cool to have Gobi there and to, to sort of see, you know, just how she combined and gelled with everyone and how everyone suddenly, you know, you have to carry all of your food and kit to survive the yeah, week. It's yeah. it's not How very often. that way because you're really getting down to the ounce. For advantages but what was the pack weight for you uh the pack weight's about six and a half kilos i'm not sure what that is in pounds but it's a basic little school bag pack that you'll carry with you know the minimal amount of calories around 2,000 calories a day to survive on and you don't carry anything extra because everything extra slows you down to give right, some right. of your food to someone else or to a little dog is quite a big deal because a lot of the time you'll have calculated exactly what you need to survive the week and when you finish the week, the first thing you need to do is uh, to eat and to get to a bar to drink as well because you're yeah. hungry and thirsty. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what's Gobi's favorite cocktail? Gobi. <laughs> Gobi <laughs> uh, really does. Uh, she loves to eat chicken and prawns, and she really doesn't have a favorite cocktail of choice besides okay. a bit of cool water. But yeah. Okay. Hey, guys, we're talking with Dion Leonard, and his book is called Finding Gobi a little dog with a very big heart. We're going to find out what happened after the race and how it was a very challenging, probably almost as challenging as all the races combined that you've done to find, reunite, and now be with Gobi. So everybody sit and stay. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Time for a walk on the red carpet, of course. All Behave will be back in a flash right after these messages. Hey, pet pals, Arden Moore here. Welcome to Fall and Winter. Now, this is a great time to take your dog on a hike in the woods, maybe go on a camping trip or a road trip. But just like us, changes in weather can actually impact the skin and ears of our dogs and cats. So if you got a pet who's scratching his ears, chewing on his coat or rolling in mud, help is here. Zymox. For inflamed and itchy paws and coats, you can use the Zymox topical spray. For itchy and irritated ear issues, you can use Zymox enzymatic ear solution. And for baths, you can treat your dog or cat to Zymox shampoo and conditioners. Now, Zymox has been your pet's safe and trusted health ally for 20 plus years. So you can pick up Zymox at your veterinary clinic, most pet specialty stores, and online. To learn more, just visit Zymox.com. That's Z-Y-M-O-X. Do it for your pet. Hey, pause up, everyone. This is Arden Moore, your host on the OB Hey Show. I am so happy to yap about a new product my dog Kona got. It's called Pet Treater. Pet Treater? What's Pet Treater? It's a gift box, and it has lots of cool things like interactive toys and all-natural treats and yummy, yummy, yummy other surprises. 
Kona is my terrier mix, as you guys know. I call her Ice Cream Kona. And when that box came, she was just tail wagging and grinning from ear to ear. And it isn't just for dogs. If you got a cat or other kinds of pets roaming around your house, please check out Pet Treater because they'll tailor make a box for your pet. And they take into things like, uh, does your dog or cat have any allergies? Is it a big dog or is it a little dog? So all it costs is a subscription starting as low as $15. And you and your cool pets will get to unbox new surprises month after month. And if you're good with the camera and you're proud of your pet, you can also connect with other animal lovers on the Pet Treater site. How easy. Just go to Pet treater.com this is important use the coupon code obehave and guess what you're going to get 50 percent off the first month of your subscription go to pettreater.com and use the coupon code obehave and you're going to save ka-ching well that's it for me kona's looking at me in the pet treater box she wants to dive into some of these goodies pause up Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. We're back from the lot. Just checked the paper and we had a record showing at the box. The letterbox, that is. Now back to OBHAVE. Here's Arden. Welcome back to the OBHAVE show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. What a tale is being told right now by Dion Leonard, the author of the New York Times best-selling book, Finding Gobi, a Little Dog with a Very Big Heart. And I know you've made this book into different things for kids. And before we get too much into what happened to Gobi, meow, meow, where's Laura? Because <laughs> uh, uh, his feline uh, sibling also has a book out called Laura, the Runaway Cat. Yeah, my cat, uh, I just released a book about Lara the cat and uh, it's a fiction book, but it's a really heartwarming and inspiring read in its own own right, if you like. And it's all about Lara's decision to leave home and to go on her own adventure to find herself as well, because she sees what Gobi's done in her life. And as an indoor cat, she realized she's never been anywhere and never done anything. So it's been really fun to be involved with that. And as you say, Finding Gobi is also in uh, Picture Book and also Young Readers Edition, which is really popular with kids across the schools in the U.S. Oh, yeah. And folks, after the show, please go to the website, findinggobi.com, and you're going to see all the books and things about Dion. And let's talk about this. I don't want to spoil too much because everybody's going to read the book, but you finished the race. Did you got second? I was a little bit confused because there's different stages, but you did pretty damn well, right, in Gobi. Yeah, I guess in the way I won Gobi. Uh, yeah. Gobi dog. <laughs> yeah, that's better than a medal around your neck, right? Absolutely. And, you know, during the race, I made Gobi a promise that uh, I was going to make her life better. I was going to bring her home and I was going to give her the life that she deserved. And I guess, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the life I sort of probably wanted when I was younger, someone to come and help me and to give me a better life. So this connection I formed with Gobi was more to me than just a little dog that ran 80 miles of a race. And I promised her that I was going to bring her home to Edinburgh in Scotland, and uh, that's what I planned to do after the race had finished. Wow. But just like some folks that are in the military and they have a military dog that's being decommissioned and they go through all these hoops and red tape to try to get the dog home, that pales in comparison 
something happened to Gobi. Gobi disappeared and you were desperate trying to find her and you did a, a funding raising. I mean, you had the world looking for Gobi. Yeah, right? as you said uh, earlier, the race was really easy in comparison to the story of finding Gobi. And this is really where the story goes off into so many, I guess it's like a roller coaster ride of highs and lows and emotions and, and not knowing whether I'd see Gobi again. And combined with the news and the press and people on social media also wanting to know what had happened to Gobi and whether she was still alive and whether she was safe and what mm -hmm. I was doing about finding her. So the pressure was certainly on me. So tell us, you had a, a gal named Kiki, I guess that was somebody you really, you know, champion in the back of the book. You have a lot of folks you're thanking. I mean, it cost a lot of money. She had to be quarantined. We all know about quarantine now. Gobi was a leader in that for us, but this was not an easy, let me just pick up this tiny dog, pop her in a plane and come home, right? No, it certainly wasn't. And there was with a lot of help and a lot of money that had been raised around the world to make it happen. And, uh, you know, we really struggled initially because the Gobi Desert is in northwest China and there's not a lot of people in northwest China that speak a lot of English or know about how to transport a dog from northwest China out of the country to the United Kingdom. A lot of the cities of Beijing and Shanghai might have pet transport agents that can help, but they don't necessarily want to travel out to northwest China. It's like the Wild West and uh, it's a pretty rough place. So it took some time to find the right person that would help us and Kiki was that person. Thankfully, she uh, she could sort of put together the sort of requirements Gobi would need to leave. But, you know, during this time, Gobi went missing and I had to reach back out to Kiki to say, will you help me put together a search and volunteer team? And Kiki actually reached out to an American who lives in China called Chris Barden. And Chris runs the little adoption shop in Beijing, which is a really unique story in its own right. Chris was out in China many years ago, over 15 years ago. And uh, he saved a bunch of dogs from going to the Yulin Festival. He had no intentions of uh, ever setting up a dog rescue facility. And uh, he found himself with all of these dogs that he saved. And he had to stay out there and, and to give them a, a safe life. And he's still out there today with wow. uh, about a 1,000 dogs. Everyone knows Chris in China. He speaks fantastic Chinese. And we reached out to him as well, and he helped us uh, get together with some people in the city of Urumqi where Gobi was missing and start to form a team to find her. So June 20th was the day, your gotcha day, the day that you first met Gobi. Now she's six. Bring us to that day that you guys were finally reunited. What day was that? Yeah, you know, there were so many days of searching in between and so many things that sort of didn't go our way and didn't look like we were ever going to find her. And there's a lot more to the story, which I won't go into, which is in the book. But um, right. you know, we don't want to be spoilers. Yeah, I'm trying to get people to buy the damn book. Well, it's, you know, it's it's an incredible sort of feat to think this little dog is on the streets of this big city. And we, we eventually get a phone call to say, we think we found your dog. And I walk into this family's home and Here's this little dog. She'd been hit by a vehicle as she was missing. She came running up to me and uh, squealing and barking and yelping into my arms. And I'm in tears of joy as we, we realized that this is Gobi. And I didn't really ever think it was probably ever going to happen, but I was going out there to give it everything I got and to at least feel happy in my mind that I tried my best to find her and to actually realize that we did with all of the people that were out searching, hundreds and hundreds of people uh, made it happen. And it was, a, it was a miracle. Yeah. And don't you think some of your mindset and training as an ultra marathon racer where you don't give up helped find Gobi? 
Absolutely. And that's really the the sort of mindset and motivational speaking events, the things that I do now is is getting people to uh, to utilize some of that in day-to-day life as well, which has been a big help for me, you know, running these races and adapting and becoming versatile and overcoming highs and lows, you know, overcoming the lows and looking for the highs. So yeah, there is a lot of ultra running that you can really use in day-to-day life. And especially we're all going through these moments at the moment where we know at some point this is all going to pass, but uh, sometimes it takes a little while to get to that next checkpoint in life. You just segued perfectly. I was like, I'm going to get into that motivational speaking thing. and <laughs> I just like dropped the leash and gave it to you because you've got, so you're probably doing some motivational speaking now, obviously like Zoom, right? And everybody wants probably uh, Gobi at the podium, right? I think that's the thing. Everyone really loves meeting Gobi and Gobi's really, I think, I mean, all dogs are angels in disguise, but Gobi just has this little bit extra about her and we can be walking down the street and people can be rushing back from their day's work pre-COVID and you'll see them and they'll be looking at their phones or they'll be looking down at the, the concrete footpath ahead of them and they'll lock eyes with Gobi and they'll suddenly have a smile on their face and you know, she has this way with people to really bond and connect with everyone, not just me. And I think she's really doing a lot of good out there for people. And and I think by sharing Gobi's story in, in a situation and environment like we are now, I think it really helps people put a smile on their face and take them away from everything we're going through at the moment. I think a smile in our hearts too. Absolutely. and That's uh, the bigger smile, don't you think, Dion? the more longer lasting thing. And that's something that she's done for me and uh, my wife, Lucia, as well. Yeah. And I want to also give a shout out to your wife, Lucia, because first of all, we thank both of you. She helped coordinate you getting on the show today. Uh, You call her from China and say, "Uh, honey, I think I want to bring home a dog. Yeah. She knew that was going to happen because she'd read some of those articles that you mentioned earlier that the other races were, were sort of writing about during the race on their own personal blogs. And she could see the, some of the pictures and she could see that I was always next to the dog. So I think she knew that I was going to ring up and say, hey, this dog's coming home with me. So it was no real surprise. But without Lucia's support and efforts to make all of those things happen, and, you know, there's a lot of sacrifices from, from also from her because I spent four months in China after we found Gobi to make sure she didn't right. go missing again, to make sure she had the operation on a leg that she needed to make sure she did the quarantine process. And uh, there was still a lot of underlying issues at, at hand as well. We still had a lot of the negative sort of things happening with government people, whether Gobi would be stolen again, all of these things that we didn't really know too much about were happening as well. So I had to really safeguard Gobi. So there was a worrying time for Lucia as well as I was out in Beijing for that time. Well, she's quite a runner herself. I thought it was interesting that the race, I'm going to butcher this, let me get this, the race that you got second in the Kohari Desert, is that right? She got second in the women's? That's correct, yeah. Am I good? Did I do my research? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if it wasn't for Lucia, I also wouldn't have gone to that race. And I mentioned the story earlier where I made the bet with my friend Dan and I beat him in the half marathon race. Well, after that, I bought Lucia a book because she'd been running already for a couple of years before me. I bought her a book for her birthday and her birthday's the 23rd of December. So it's, you know, it's one of those excuses to just to buy a one present because it's so close to Christmas. (laughs) But I thought I'd be nice. And I just jokingly said to her, I said, whatever page you open up into on this book is what we'll go and do as well. And the book was called, called The World's Toughest Endurance Challenges. 
and she opens up to a page, and it could have been any page from doing some of the toughest Ironmans or some of the toughest mountain bike races. It could have been a toughest swim around, uh, you know, uh, some unique location. But she opens up to this race, which is the Kalahari Extreme 155-mile race in South Africa. And uh, exactly the same as the Gobi Desert race, but uh, really, really u different unique hot location in south africa and we went out there together and uh she was my inspiration to go and finish it and she finished second and she finished second as well so yeah she did an awesome job out there and that was really the start of our running sort of career and our lives took off into the direction which would lead us to gobi i'm picturing you in chattanooga tennessee right now you're sitting on a couch with your dog if people just walked in your living room they would have no idea of this amazing backstory so What's something that might surprise people about what you and Lucia and D and uh, Gobi like to do outside of running? Well, I'm actually a very good cook of Chinese food now. So oh, I, okay, good. <laughs> yeah, spending four months in China, I actually spent some time out there cooking and uh, working with a chef there and understanding how to cook Sichuan food. So that's, uh, that's a bit of a specialty of mine. And uh, I guess we still are an outdoorsy people. Gobi still loves to run. Her desert days are over. She doesn't do any more ultra marathons. But one of the stories in the book is uh, about how I go back in a pivotal moment of the race to pick Gobi up and to carry her across a large river crossing that she couldn't cross on her own. Right. And right. being in Chattanooga, you know, it's 95, 100 degrees, and the humidity is just as ridiculously high. So it's uh, stinking hot here. You can't take Gobi out for a walk. It's too hot for her. So. We take her down to the, the Chattanooga River and take her in the water with me, and she's now learning to swim a little bit more and getting used to liking it a little bit more. So it's fun to just sort of see Gobi's life evolve. I mean, this dog's met the royal family. She's met the president of Slovenia. She's met movie stars like Sir Patrick Stewart. It's, it's incredible just how she's touched so many people's lives around the world. And we also have messages from people that have read the story that have gone down to their local rescue shelter and taken a dog home. They've been made aware of the plight of many animals just like Gobi. And we've had people connect with my own personal story where they've had difficult childhoods and they realize that they can overcome those because life keeps going forward and you have to keep taking one step after another. And I think that's when we hear those things, it's it's really nice and uh, it's humbling to hear just that we've connected with so many people. Since you know Gobi so well. She is a sentient being of the, the most extraordinary elevation and involvement, wouldn't you think? Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty incredible to sort of think just the amount of uh, love and heartfelt kindness, I think, that she has in her for everyone. And when I'm speaking to kids particularly, I speak about the act of kindness. The one act of kindness of me going back to take Gobi across that river crossing that I just mentioned was the real connecting point when I started to fall in love with Gobi and to realize this was more than just a little dog running with me. There was more to it. If I hadn't have gone back and shown that one act of kindness, I wouldn't be here today telling my story with Gobi. My life wouldn't have gone into this different direction. And I implore it to kids to be kind to one another, to be kind to animals. And uh, being kind to others doesn't cost anything. You should never really be looking for anything in return, but you never know where life can take you as well. I love it. Hey, everyone, it has been a great pleasure to have Dion Leonard on the show. He is the author of Finding Gobi, The Amazing True Story. Please go to findinggobi.com. There's a bunch of other books. 
for kids. We get to learn about his cat in a fictional tale called Lara. And uh, he is a motivational speaker. He's a man with a big heart and it's pumping strong because of a little dog named Gobi. Can I see Gobi one more time? Yeah. Come here, Gobi. Hey, Gobi, I'm known as Treat Lady. Hey, Gobi. <laughs> It's very nice to make contact with you. You are a kindred canine spirit. Everybody, let's give a big round of pause and applause for Gobi and Dion and his wife, Lucia. And again, go to findinggobi.com. I've been doing this show for 13 years, Dion. My heart is pumping right now. It is fluttering. Look what you two have done. That is a joy that we all need an infusion of. So I also want to thank my producer, Mark Winner. He is the wizard of pause on Pet Life Radio. It is the number one pet radio network on the planet, even in Gobi, China, and all the other obscure places that Dion and Toby have been. And I hope you all check out my website, ardenmore.com. And uh, until next time, this is your flea-free host, Arden Moore, delivering just two words to all you two, three, and four-leggers out there. Oh, behave! Coast to coast and around the world, it's All Behave with Arden Moore. Find out why cats and dogs do the things they do and get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails in Rin Tin Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get great tail-wagging pet tips and have a fur-flying fun time. All Behave with America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.